You're listening to Shift, Human First Financial Guidance with Ross Marino. Today, we are shifting the conversation with my friend, Dr. Preston Cherry. Hello, Preston. Hi, Ross. Great to have you on the show. As always, we've interviewed you a few different times. I've had the pleasure of hearing you speak at Shift during our first year. And of course, you're going to be speaking again next year. Your topic is Global Humanity of Money, Aligning Cultural Values with Money. Fascinating topic. Before we dive in, how about you take 30 seconds and just introduce yourself to the listeners? Uh, thank you for having me back on, Ross. I appreciate it. So, Dr. Preston Cherry, uh, also, since we're on the show, Preston Cherry, because <laughs> we know each other. Uh, but yes, I, got, I am the head of the financial planning program at UW, at UW-Wisconsin, uh, Green Bay. So I've been running that program. We also have a, a Center for Financial Wellness that's sponsored by uh, Charles Schwab Foundation. So that actually gets out financial education to students and citizens of the Northeast Wisconsin community. So that's that's fun. And also I, I am the founder of Concurrent Financial, which is a financial planning RIA. We do coaching and also corporate wellness. And recently a co-founder of a wealth tech called Practice Intelligence. So a lot of, a lot on the plate there along with speaking, but uh, that's that's what I got on my plate. Entrepreneurial ADD is alive and well in your brain. That's that's <laughs> awesome. So yeah, I love a lot of the different things you're doing. I, I do love this topic for uh, for many different reasons, but I know there's a direct connection between cultural values and money. I've noticed it with clients over the years. For someone to dive deep into it and really just unpack what's going on is going to be really helpful. Uh, but before we dive into that part, I know you just didn't randomly wake up and say, hey, I'm going to write about this. And, and being the PhD type, I know you had to research it. I know you had to dive into it. You you were probably really driven to dive into this. So can you lead up to the, the story that led up to this point where you said, you know what, I got to learn more about this. I got to write about it. I got to talk about it. Wow. Good question. Uh, well, recently, I think folks heard on LinkedIn that I got two announcements personally, which is I recently got married this this past summer. So, <laughs> uh, so yes, to one of the greatest decisions I've ever made. And then also my wife, Iman, shout out to her. And also another shout out to her because she's having our child. So that's another uh, that's another announcement. So we're doing May. But the, the, what does that have to do with the topic? Well, uh, we've been getting to six years and uh, we met while we were doing our PhD studies at Texas Tech. And so she is from Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And and I've been traveling globally uh, to see her over the last couple of years because we've been separated geographically. And I've always been raised with a cultural and global mindset, Ross. I mean, that's how we were raised in the home as uh, far as, you know, the human condition is concerned. But it really hit home when I started traveling and experiencing, uh, you know, you know, the, the difference between or differences and similarities, mind you, differences and similarities of our two cultures and bridging these two cultures in the household. And so it's been a journey. It's been a six year journey. And it started out with need, needing com conversation and communication, understanding this, that, and the other. I know we'll get to that in these questions. But when it came to a new topic, I was like, yeah, uh, this is it right here. You know, bridging uh, cultural uh, values and experiences about money. I've noticed 
just anecdotally with clients over the years that there are some differences, but, you know, there's also commonalities because people are people. And, you know, I'd love to see you take apart those two. So how about we start with what are some of the commonalities for global experiences around money? Right. So uh, speaking of uh, my wife, she has a PhD in financial planning as well. And what does that got to do with this question? Well, we did a, uh, a seminar or workshop together in, in Jeddah about a year ago. And we started noticing and we, and it was on, uh, you know, the humanity of money cross-cultural uh, and I forgot the title. I posted it on LinkedIn, but what we, what we were, it was, you know, the human, humanality of money. And when I, what I saw there uh, and, and also in, in just in research also, what I saw there, when we started talking about uh, money conversations in the home, so, you know, financial socialization, so to speak. All right. And people are like, yes, uh, you know, when did you have those talks? How frequent? Uh, what was the what were the maybe potential barriers or maybe the doors of entry? Uh, uh, what were the societal implications as far as um, I wouldn't even say implications, but maybe influences uh, on uh, from a gender's perspective? Uh, that that was another that was uh, was common. And we see some uh, differences in these areas as far as studies are concerned. But then when you then then when you take them to globally, it's like, oh, okay, what else? What are the what are the factors? Like I said, the common factors that are cross-cultural. So money talks in the home, gender gender conversations, uh, societal uh, relationships with money, like far as status is concerned. Uh, we, we we saw these, which was comparison's sake. Uh, I always like to say uh, for to folks to unfomo your finances. <laughs> unfomo your finances, which is fear of missing out. You just get this comparison mentality and we all have it. Um, so what I found was, uh, Ross, and what we found during that presentation was, you know, people were like, yes, that's me as well. And it really didn't matter about the border. I just reviewed the Schwab Modern Wealth Report that comes out every year. And I was looking at one of the slides they have about how people gauge their wealth. And they gauge it based on the people around them and what they can do. So as soon as you said unfomo, I thought, man, social media, we're already wired for that. We may not admit it, but it is influential. At least when we're answering survey questions, we're looking on social media, we're seeing what people that are our peers and our social group are actually doing and where they go, what they do, what they own. So th there's no doubt that that's influential there. Now, if we go to the other side, we just talked about commonalities. Now let's talk about some of the differences. I know different cultures, they have maybe unique approaches to how they talk about money, how they manage money. You have different experiences. Can you share a little bit on that absolutely i mean we we could start with and this is this is this is goes across border as well but within cultures if you take the subset it's important uh it has a magnified importance so let's talk about giving amongst not only cultures but you know religiosity you know to be specific i would say giving and uh and, and religious giving because you know just just charitable being charitable where does that play a role so uh, and some cultures, and particularly a, a Milanese culture and maybe even Asian cultures, you know, giving is important uh, just just as part part of in, in American cultures or Western cultures, I should say. Um, but it's the it's the, the the level of the or the brevity of, of, of that giving. What, what how how higher up in the value system is that? How important is that as far as priority is concerned? You know, is that 
you know, number one or two or three, you know, and how do you, it's, it's how do you feel about that? Sometimes it's hard to measure, but when certain cultures state that, you know, it's our duty, so to speak, to, to, to give and to help others, then that ranks priority, uh, Ross, you know? So when you're talking about uh, money alignment, you know, life and money alignment, which gives your money assignments, well, and then you allocate according to assignment, well, then it's all on a priority list. And I was, and then to further that along, I would say, you know, religious giving, you know, we have tithing and across different types of uh, re religious beliefs. Oh, well, what's that, what's that amount? Uh, how, how, how dedicated are folks to that, uh, to that, to that amount? And also to, uh, can, there is there space? Is there space to maybe back off of that a little bit in order to help themselves financially in order to get back on track. And those conversations are what type of space do we have to make adjustments with, with giving and even giving family. And one more, I'll say giving with family, that's cultural too, meaning, uh, and that's not cross border, that's not that's cross border, but even within culture, I would say, uh, how are you carrying your your future and your past generations on your back, you know, are you funding them before you are funding yourself because of a cultural belief system of, uh, of helping out family members before oneself. So all in those three areas, giving religious giving and also family giving across cultures and borders. I noticed many years ago, uh, having a conversation with someone from another country, it was actually someone high up in the government with Lithu in Lithuania, uh, my wife is a dual citizen, so she's also a Lithuanian citizen, and, and this was her uncle. And we were having a conversation after Lithuania opened up and was trying to install democracy. And uh, what really stuck with me from that is he talked about how when people don't trust their government, when they don't trust the economy, it's hard for them to invest. And as I'm listening, I'm thinking through my head, you know, now wonder they're sitting on cash or buying gold or doing something that they believe is reasonable. It's not because they don't have the data or the information. They haven't grown up in a system of trust. And, and I asked him if he was going to help change that. And he literally chuckled and said, it's going to take a whole generation. He says, it's not going to change anytime soon. He says, it's we're working for the next generation because these people grew up like that. So how hard is it if you grow up in a system where you can't trust and it influences how you would invest for the future? How hard is it to actually make financial decisions or even as advisors to be aware of that? Right. That's a, that's a great point, Ross. I mean, now we're talking about generational financial trauma uh, in, in that regard. And there, there are traumas that then alter relationships with with money, and and one of them being being exposed to you know systematic uh, failures uh, that that govern that govern us or systematic failures in our um, in our private firms, uh, and so people and what that leads to is like what you mentioned, which is mistrust. And when you have mistrust within, you know, systems through proof, I mean, so some folks think, you know, this is kind of like fake news or something like that, but we have proof of systematic oppression and uh, unrest, geo geopolitical unrest in, in many regions for a very long time. And those affect folks. And that isn't, that that is a form of trauma, which alters relationships with money and thus uh, can uh, have an impact on whether, I mean, you're informed 
which is financial literacy and you know, which leads to financial wellness, which is informed decisions and behaviors. Well, I mean, if there's a lack of, you know, a lack of financial compassion within the system, then we can't even get to financial education, which leads to financial literacy. So at all of those barriers are a, are a restriction uh, to overall just life well-being because you know the fine there's no financial wellness and there's no overall well-being as well or at least it's uh it's greatly impacted because it's not like it's not like you can't however uh, when you have influences that bring bring down probabilities and then those probabilities are 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 not self-inflicted um you know that's that's pretty tough on folks it just makes me appreciate that we actually as advisors have the opportunity to shift the conversation, take a human first approach, and not just talk about what someone thinks and how they feel as it relates to money, but really dig into how they got to this place and why they think and feel that way. Because just sharing statistics about the long-term growth of the stock market isn't going to get it done, or at least I wasn't able to get it done that way with so many different people over the years, right? The, the the knowledge just didn't do it. But to actually examine what your beliefs are, to find out why you think what you think, why you feel what you feel. I mean, isn't that what we get to do as advisors daily? Absolutely, absolutely, Ross. And and it, you you lobbed it up, which is which is that I appreciate, which is going through what I call the arc of financial wellness with individuals, and. You can't get to financial wellness and overall life well-being without, you know, the proper stages. And the first one is what you're alluding to is financial compassion, which is to allow yourself to um, have the skill set and awareness and the willingness to understand someone someone's viewpoint and perspective who they are, what their values and what their experience and the culture system that they have. That's understanding the whole person. And that's what that compassion is about. Then you that leads to financial education. Because my, my, my thing is, if you open up the heart, you open up the mind. Because then people are willing now to listen to financial education. And that financial education in the financial advice spectrum is just recommendations. People are more willing to op open up to be informed because they're like, tell me more about that after you have told, they have told you about them because you, you listened to them and you asked. So financial compassion, financial education, which then leads to financial literacy, which is uh, informed behaviors and decisions. And you can't get information if you don't have any education, right? Which is information. And then that leads to financial wellness, which is security, confidence, uh, and, and increased perspective about your, about your money handlings which then hopefully leads you to overall well-being. And that's the arc right there. And that's not only in just, you know, going out and, and giving, uh, you know, financial education to large communities, but that's also applicable to the financial coaching and financial planning, financial advice uh, a model because you have clients. I get excited about the future of our profession when when I listen to people like you. Love the work you're doing. Glad you're out there. Dr. Preston Cherry, thanks for being on the show and we will see you at Shift 2024. Appreciate you, Ross. Thank you for listening to Shift with Ross Marino. Please visit humanfirst.live to learn more. This show is for general information purposes only and is not intended to provide recommendations or advice. Speak with a legal, tax, or financial advisor before making any decisions. 
Past performance references are historical and do not guarantee future results.